people's empowerment is kind of what we're after. People should become self-sufficient. Doing things online will actually force that. Zoom can be a really amazing teaching tool. I very much miss the portion of the bike kitchen where we like helped people who couldn't afford it fix their bikes and helped homeless population fix their bikes. And if what we can do is Zoom right now and outside wrenching once a week, I think that's what we're going to do. When you have an eye-catchy kind of abnormal bike, like a big old bucket bike, cargo bike. Be prepared for people to stop you everywhere you are and want to know everything. But if you have one and you're not a people person, then you got to be prepared to become a people person. You know, I mean, there's something that's different about the transportability of bikes that police find both threatening in terms of potential uses from protesters and inviting in terms of being something that's to use to mess with protesters. You had your bicycle taken? Right there. Yeah, oh, there you go. Unbelievable. The NYPD has no idea how to approach this. They don't. No one in our society or in the state of New York really knows how to handle what's going on right now. And it shows. You can see it on the streets every night. Do you guys ever say, um, too many cooks in the kitchen? You say that all the time? I'm like every day. <laughs> All right, welcome to Bike Talk live on KPFK Livestream. Today we're doing a Zoom meeting because of, you know, the COVID pandemic and social distancing, but we're making it happen. And today we have four people from LA Bike Co-ops in the first segment of our show, from the Bike Wave and the Bike Kitchen. We've got Peter Choi and Peter Baumas, who are board members and cooks at the Bicycle Kitchen. And we've got Jane Vudicon and Rachel Horn with Bikerwave. And I'm assuming you guys are board members, right? And also, what's the equivalent of a cook at the Bikerwave? Do you guys have anything? Volunteer. <laughs> Volunteer mechanic, yeah. Waivers. No. What, what do you call it? Waivers. Waivers. She's joking. Right. She's joking. Nobody calls us that. Thanks. So the bike kitchen is kind of the the founding co-op of Los Angeles. And I think Biker Wave was maybe second or third. I think there's Bike Oven. Everybody sort of took a cue. And you guys are arranged a little bit differently than the bike kitchen at the Biker Wave, right? You guys are more of a – I think the bike kitchen's a nonprofit and the Biker Wave is – yeah, we're not for profit, but we do act as a reseller of um, new parts as well. Okay, cool. And the Biker Wave is on Venice Boulevard in uh, Mar Vista. And the Bike Kitchen is now on Fountain and Virgil. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the pandemic and how it's affected your guys' business, right? And how it's affected bike riding. Well, let's get into this. Let's let's talk about it a little bit. Nick, you want to start off with some with a with a question? Yeah, what's a waiver? <laughs> Biker waiver. Like it's, the thing, it's a thing that you have to sign before you use our tools. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, I would just say, you know, what's a bike co-op to start with? 
I mean, why I know, doesn't the kid let's know, uh, let the kitchen about. take that one being the first ones? Um, that's actually a wild question because there's a huge spectrum of bike co-ops. They're um, largely not modeled as it's the same way you would model a for-profit bike shop. Ours is built as a learning space, so we're not actually a bicycle shop. We're more of a an educational center where we teach people how to fix their own bicycle. Um, and the point of that being is to like increase you know your own your own abilities and to be able to like take control of your transportation and have transportation equity and like to be able to learn things, be able to like gain knowledge and gain power over your own transportation, which is so crucial, you know? So, but bike co-ops can be structured, structured just like bike shops or they can be structured in, um, you know, in any way, but ours is structured mostly as an educational space. And our primary goal is to teach people how to repair their own bicycles. Um, so that's bike kitchen. That's and you, yeah. Sorry. That's pretty much the same as the biker wave. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is the governance structure, right? So co-op stands for cooperative, and that means that there's not one person or one owner that makes top decisions. It's um, cooperatively made. So we have member meetings, um, and we vote consensus seeking in the biker waves case um for any decisions that we make yeah which is a hairy way to make decisions but it is like it is empowering anything to increase you know people's empowerment is kind of what we're after which is the opposite of a for-profit business which seeks to empower a single person over all the others we seek to empower everyone um for themselves and likes empower and the structure empowers yeah that's that's the thing and the thing with both of your shops is you guys have both been around for a long time, right? More than 10 years for each of, of your shops. That's true. I think, isn't the kitchen like 20 years old? Kitchen's plus? 20 years old. Wow. I mean, it, it's it's uh, 17 off. years old, right? It started at the Eco Village in what, 2003 or 2004? I don't really know. The funny thing about the bicycle kitchen or and even other clubs too, I'm sure. That we have new volunteers and there's such a pretty fast turnover that there's none of the original members. We, we don't know, some some of the history gets kind of lost and it just doesn't get renewed all the time. So, so we've been in our current location for maybe like eight or nine years. And then the heliotrope, like no one knows how things were like in the previous location. So the bicycle kitchen went to several iterations, I think. Yet it kind of remains the same. Right. From what, from what I've seen and known about the bike kitchen, it was, it was started by Jimmy Lazama at the Eco Village, which is also a, a co-op owned housing development. And uh, Jimmy started it in the kitchen, in one of the kitchens, in one of the units. And then it moved to Heliotrope and Melrose and they took over a storefront and it was, it was successful, wildly successful. Lots of, lots of people participated. And then you guys bought your own building, uh, the one that you're currently in, which is absolutely fantastic. That's, I mean, there are businesses, thousands of businesses in LA that, 
haven't achieved that. So that's an amazing achievement to own the land that your business exists on. So uh, that's, that's fantastic work. And I, I guess for Microwave, do you guys have plans to do something similar or are you guys good with your storefront? I mean, that, that area right there seems to be kind of, uh, I guess you'd call it gentrifying, right? Like it's sort of rents are going up. How's, how's everything going with the Microwave? As a treasurer, I think Rachel should speak to that. But I will say that um, we have a similar, a similar uh, situation that Peter was talking about um, in terms of volunteers turning over periodically. So we kind of lose the history. But Rachel actually last year um, really put together a great um, 10 year in Mar Vista anniversary party where we actually organized a bike ride and visited our two previous sites and had some of the um, original founding microwave people uh, tell us about the history, which was pretty cool. So, Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and then I am, I do some treasure duties. I'm one of three um, treasure team for microwave, but um, we're all actually pretty relieved because our lease um, was coming up is coming up uh, in August. And uh, we were a bit worried that um, we would get priced out of Mar Vista because it's definitely way fancier than it was 10 years ago. And we, uh, both our immediate neighbors have left, um, the ones who were there when we first moved in. And uh, we thought that it was for rent reasons. And so, uh, we were anticipating this lease negotiation, but we started it with our landlords and uh, we're actually pretty mm, pleased, I guess, with uh, the amount of rent they wanted to raise it. Uh, and we did sign another three-year lease. So we're there in the same spot uh, for another three years. That'll put us to uh, 2023. And we'll be having discussions about what we're going to want to do if we want to buy a space or if we want to continue negotiating the lease there. It will be a big discussion. Right on. So the pandemic, did you guys stay open? You guys were an essential business, right? Both of, both of your businesses, the bike kitchen and the microwave both stayed open if, if I'm not mistaken. Right. No, you are mistaken. You're mistaken. Yeah, we, we're You're very closed. mistaken. <laughs> it was considered an essential business, or or yeah. that, that's true. And but there's there's a couple of aspects to that, right? Bicycle shops are an essential business, and yeah. bicycle repair is an essential business. But that's not really what we do. We're like an educational space, so we're closer to a school than we are to a bike shop. Like at a regular bike shop, you could take your bicycle there. You could hand it to a mechanic. Like um, the way Golden Saddle operates right now, you can go to Golden Saddle, you can hand them their, your bike and several hours later, they'll hand it back to you repaired. And because that's not what we do at the co-op, we teach people to repair their own bikes. That requires a significant amount of face-to-face -face, like activity, like we have to teach them and be in the same space. And so um, we are, because we don't operate in the same way a bicycle shop operates, it wasn't safe to us to operate the way we've always operated. So um, we chose to close for the pandemic. Uh, we are, however, beginning operations at least one day a week. 
um, on Fridays, and those will be significantly different than the operations that we've had before. Um, they're going to be largely outside, and um, we're going to see how it goes down. There's a lot of steps that have to be taken, but uh, we, we would like to get back into the business of teaching people how to repair their bicycles. You know? So Claude Shagan's here. Hi, Claude. I invited uh, the kitchen cooks when I saw Claude's post on Facebook. Claude, you want to tell us about the, or any of the kitchen people about the, the online Monday uh, bike mechanic situation? Yeah, it's something that we're going to try. We, um, you know, of course, like now with, with um, what's going on in the world, we, we realize that, you know, we should embrace the technologies that everybody seems to be using and try to apply them to the operations of the kitchen somehow. So we're kind of testing it out. Um, and so we thought that we would have, we don't know exactly how it's going to work, but we thought we, we could have sort of open shop hours um, where, you know, you can attend virtually, you can go online um, and, and somebody will be there to help you uh, essentially figure out problems with your bike. So we're trying that Monday. We're trying that this coming Monday. Um, what, is, what is the date on Monday? I forget. But um, It's the 8th. It's the 8th. Okay, so it's Monday the 8th. And, um, and I think we're starting at 6.30. Is that right, Peter? 6.30? Um, and yeah, so 6.30 p.m. Um, I have a picture. Maybe I can put it up here. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, so at 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. Yeah, so um, I, the idea is that, you know, a lot of times um, people have bike problems that are so simple to, to figure out that they don't even need to come over to, to a shop space. Um, and if it's a simple question, you know, the knowledge base that we have at the kitchen should be able to help people. So, so that's one of the things we're trying to incorporate into operations now. Um, as well as trying to figure out how to how to safely operate um, in in this pandemic environment. So. Jane and, and Rachel, are, are you going to do anything like that? Are you doing anything like that? I'll let Jane speak to that because she's been doing a ton of planning. Um, so while we were shut down, we um, actually started having um, weekly meetings among our membership to sort of do administrative work and figure out. Um, ways of pivoting, you know, or operating um, while still fulfilling our mission, which is difficult for the reasons that Peter mentioned. Um, so this week, this coming Monday, we are going to have our first in-person opening, but it's only for curbside retail. So we're a little bit behind the um, county and city, um, mostly due to the nature of our slow decision-making process. Um, but so we'll be able to sell, you know, tubes, tools, any parts or bicycles that have been donated and fixed up by our mechanics. Um, Cause we've been getting a lot of requests for that. So, but so far we have not yet figured out how we will continue with the education portion of our operations. Hey, Claude, you know, that's so funny that, that you mentioned the, the uh, sort of video cook um, idea. I, I actually, uh, I was working on my bike in my garage and I came to this point where I couldn't figure out how to do something. 
And I actually hit up uh, Jim C, who was a cook way back in the day. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys know him or not, but um, he used Zoom and he actually showed me how to fix this one particular thing and it worked great. And yeah. uh, really exciting to hear that, that you guys are going to be doing something like that. I think that's going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's kind of funny because, you know, like I haven't been wrenching very, very often lately at the, or at all lately at the kitchen. Um, and, and I, but when I was wrenching, I, I tried very much to not have the tools in my hand to talk people, you know, to talk people through the repairs. And, you know, of course, like having a good stand and having the right tools is critical to fixing a lot of stuff on, on bikes. But actually, you know, people should become self-sufficient themselves if they're going to be independent with their bikes the same way you know you should be able to fix a flat tire you know you should be able to know about your bike and so in a way like you know i think doing things online will actually force that where people will need to become self-sufficient um in a way that it could actually be very positive i mean that said i know that i know that um that we've been talking a lot about you know, about getting the shop reopened and, and working outside and trying to figure out a way to, to have a, you know, a, a ventilation system that is good at exhausting, you know, um, contaminants out of the space. So, I mean, I think like it, it could be like a double pronged um, thing, but, but, you know, another thing that I think is that um, it's often tricky to, to keep and maintain volunteers. And so we have this volunteer base um, over the years that has, that has, uh, that has been active and has been doing things there. And so all of a sudden now with zoom, we have the potential that, you know, that any old cook that has been involved at the kitchen can come back and, and help and wrench on, you know, as long as we, as long as we have, you know, we established the hours and we get that going. So I'm hoping that actually that this will be like a silver lining and it will take off and, I agree with what Claude said. Uh, we have a no hands rule at Microwave, but very often it's very difficult to do that, um, or a hands off rule, say, uh, where the tool has to be in the patron's hand and they have to actually be wrenching. And uh, it's very easy to fix the thing for them while they're standing next to you, as you're explaining. Um, so, in a way, Zoom can be a really amazing teaching tool. Um, to make us better teachers. And uh, Jane taught one of our friends how to knit over Zoom. I'll just say that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this is exciting. This is good. Yeah. By the way, um, just in, for the purposes of Zoom here, uh, if you're not speaking, please remember to mute yourself because there's a lot of background noise going on. So is there any contradiction in, in like using Zoom, which is a, pri uh, it's a corporation, to mediate interactions with people? I'm going to go with no. We use all kinds of corporations. We're on Gmail and Facebook and Twitter and the thing. It's, it's part of the landscape. If you want to reach out to people, you got to go where the people are. And right now the people are on Zoom, so we're all over it. We'll be on Zoom as long as we can help somebody there. You know, it is important to do what you can do. And I'm, I very much miss the portion of the bike kitchen where we like helped people who couldn't afford it fix their bikes and helped homeless population fix their bikes and you know did bike fixing for people who just absolutely couldn't do it um i miss that a lot and i'm really excited to get back to it as quickly as we can um but if what we can do is zoom right now and outside wrenching once a week i think that's what we're going to do 
you know, as long as we're doing something. I could even see a scenario where the cooks are on Zoom and people are in the, the bike kitchen, you know, socially distanced and they're just talking to somebody on Zoom while they're in the bike kitchen and all the tools are there, you know, as well as like if you happen to have a garage or some space where you can work on your own bike and talk with a, a cook or volunteer. Yeah, so about the Zoom thing, I read recently that uh, the CEO was open to having Zoom used by like like police training or police officer or something, and he said kind of something somewhat insensitive. So, I mean, it did cross my mind. I don't know if that's what you meant. But, um, but like, you know, the other Peter said, we kind of have to, I mean, we kind of, we can't really escape, you know, the, the internet tech stuff. So, so we got Zoom uh, right before this whole um, protesting happened um, through this uh, nonprofit uh, discount thing through TechSoup. Um, and then we, we were just talking about how to use it. And, and then we we're going to start using it. And just and the next thing, who knows, we're going to use um, maybe Google's platform or we're going to use some, some new tech company's platform. I think we kind of have to keep up with what people are using. It's really, it's really out of our control. Like Instagram is the main thing right now. And, you know, so next thing you know, it's going to be a, something different. So um, it's, we really, as long as we focus on the education part and, and making things affordable, I think we're kind of working with the system and outside the system, you know, so we have to just be open to it. I will say one thing about Zoom. I get the impression that Zoom is a small company relatively compared to say like Facebook, which also has video chat capability. And uh, just by virtue of them getting hacked here and there, it seems like it's more of a, like a kind of a smaller company that doesn't have all their shit together. And I'm kind of in favor of that versus like if everybody had adopted Facebook video, um, you know, I specifically don't have that on my phone. Wouldn't be able to do it, but I, I do have zoom. So I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, we'll, we're, we're definitely going to um, figure out these things as they become more common and mainstream, I think. I don't know. I mean, I, I know that, um, like, I, you know, all of a sudden I started using Zoom exclusively because I also teach, and so I was teaching on Zoom. And then, you know, right away, like, um, you know, I, I started having these kind of um, office hours where I would just leave Zoom open on my computer while I was doing whatever in my house with the speaker on really loud. And all of a sudden, you know, it was like somebody entered my house. They would start, you know, they'd start talking and I would hear somebody talking in the background. And so I guess in a way, like, you know, keeping shop hours could be the same thing. We could just leave Zoom on um, and, and, you know, anybody that has a link can enter into the room and, you know, can, and can start asking questions. And, and so, you know, it's really like, you know, I mean, it's very much a VR kind of thing. You know, right now it's just with visual and, you know, and sound, but I think as, as it evolves, it's going to become even more, you know, even more um, prescient, more kind of aware of, of, you know, of the circumstances. So, I mean, I actually think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for like, you know, silver linings of what's going on. And I think that, um, that, you know, and, and I'm very, I'm very um, interested in being more sustainable and being more environmentally friendly 
And I think that like, you know, just by virtue of traveling less um, and not, you know, and not being dependent on travel, that has a certain kind of, you know, environmental sustainable sort of side that really, I think, you know, people start working from home and, and not having to commute and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of efficiency in that. So I think we should embrace it any way we can, I guess. You bring up a good point though, Nick, which I am now thinking of is how as consumers do we um, hold corporations accountable to be more ethical? I mean, we, uh, we use QBP, we use Trek, like as cyclists, we use products that are created by corporations. Um, so it's not like we're completely in a vacuum from that. Um, but how can we influence them, I guess, um, and band together as consumers to influence their choices and make more socially responsible decisions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing question. Um, <laughs> well, right on. Hey, you guys, thank you for coming on and, and discussing this with us. Um, you know, as always, we, we want our guests to stay on and participate in the next segment. If you, you, you know, I know you're all busy potentially, but anyone that can stay on, we'd love to have you on and tell us about the next section. And thank you, Nick. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you so everyone. much. Thanks, Bike Away, Bike Kitchen. I started out talking about building bucket bikes because that's what I wanted to know about. And I was referred to Chicago Family Biking by someone named Marvin Norman, who was hoping he would join us. Maybe he'll join us. Is that Rebecca? Yeah. Yes. And and you're with Chicago Family Biking, and you all ride uh, cargo bucket bikes, uh, <laughs> family bikes in Chicago, and yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, the founder of Chicago Family Biking, and we are a grassroots organization in Chicago, and we empower families to bike with education, events, and uh, advocacy. So I personally ride a. a uh, cargo bike, a bucket style cargo bike. And uh, part of our, our mission is to uh, introduce families to different kinds of bikes that would serve their needs and ultimately help them live a car light or car free lifestyle if that's what works for them. Yeah. Tell me how that looks. Do you ride? Oh yeah, I ride every day. So I live in Chicago. I ride every day, except now I have less places to go. Um, I started biking um, with my children in the bicycle when they each turned six weeks old. And uh, my bike arrived from overseas the same day my daughter did, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so it's always been a part of my parenting lifestyle. Um, and uh, it has enabled our family to be car free for pretty much the entirety of our parenting career, which is about seven years now. And we have Marvin Norman come in. Rebecca, do you know Marvin? You know, he actually, we met uh, on a Zoom call last week. <laughs> we were leading a uh, Chicago family biking. We're exploring how do we connect uh, with our community in these times. We usually do about 50 events a year, uh, all volunteer and in the community. And since we can't do that, we, we did a Zoom call connecting with new, uh, new families uh, that are interested in biking. And he tuned in. So I didn't actually meet him because he only had his Zoom icon on. This is my first time seeing him <laughs> without like his Zoom like icon. So hi, hi Marvin. Nice hi. to meet you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Yeah, we were at home and, and you know we've not been going out to the house, so we, we were kinda <laughs> I wasn't gonna turn my camera on. <laughs> Hold on, I wanna see I wanna see Marvin if he's wearing his kilt. 
I am. There Let's it see is. It. Yes. So is the kilt. All right. This doesn't work for radio, but I can't <laughs> see it. I can't see the kilt. Uh, I didn't see the kilt. Let's see it. I see the, I see the kid. I saw All right, there, hold on. <laughs> Turn my camera around. Someone else will hold it. Someone else. Someone else. Nice. There we go. All right. So someone else is his wife, just saying. <laughs> hey. You know, All I'm right. disappointed that wasn't your Zoom icon last week. Like, <laughs> just a kilt. Just you. Just the kilt part. <laughs> so Marvin, uh, we've had as a guest on the show, he knows a lot about infrastructure. I guess you would, you're like a wonk, if that would, I don't know if you would describe yourself as, as being a wonk, but for, for infrastructure. And, um, but Marvin, yeah. <laughs> and um, Marvin has been helping me out with pictures of uh, cargo bikes because I'm in the market. And um, I started out by asking what, what cargo bike should I get or what bucket bike? Yeah. Well, I think it depends on what you're, uh, what you're looking to move with your cargo bike. Are you moving live people? Precious cargo. <laughs> yeah. precious, oh, precious cargo. Are you, and how far are you going? I mean, I think there's so many different options out there. Uh, what's your budget? Whenever I'm talking to somebody about any kind of bike, like family style bike that they're looking to, to uh, buy, it's, there's a lot of questions related to distance, the function, the budget and storage, like where are you going to be able to store this? Uh, so, I mean, tell us, what are you looking for, Mr. Nick? Well, I'm going to have to start taking my two-year-old daughter to preschool. And yeah. it's really, it's about, it's less than a mile away, I guess. Yeah. Mm, the gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, I ride a work cycles Bach feeds. It's the wooden kind um, that you see. It's not an electric assist, but I live in a place that's flat. Um, and my average commute is usually about two to three miles one way, um, often less. Um, and that's been a fantastic bike for me. I really uh, love it because I uh, was able to put my children in it very young, and that's part of the appeal of a bucket bike. Uh, you can uh, actually attach the base of a car seat in the bottom so that your car wow. seat just clicks right in. And uh, that makes it uh, super functional and helpful, especially for new parents, and especially if you onboard a new member of your household, uh, then you'll still be able to enjoy that bike and, and enjoy it with your, your new kiddo as well as your, uh, as your older child. Um, but that's, I'm a big fan of it, and uh, yeah, that's what I have. So that's the I wonder if I could bring my kitty kitty with me in a bucket bike. <laughs> you should absolutely bring your kitty and a bucket bike if the kitty will stay in there. And if not, I'm sure there's like some kind of net you can get. <laughs> you just got to put it in your, in your shirt, Don. <laughs> I could build a catio around my bucket bike. Yes. Um, so one thing that you also want to think about is, I mean, obviously budget. There's really expensive bucket bikes out, bucket bikes out there. For example, the Urban Arrow. It's kind of like the Cadillac, right? It's got an e-assist. It's a huge bucket. Um, everything's enclosed. It's well made, um, but it's going to run you, you know, like 6,000 plus depending on where you get it from. 
Um, if you get one that's non-e-assist, then you're going to save quite a bit of money. Um, but the longevity of that bike might not stick with you, especially as your kids get heavier. Um, that's kind of what people are, are encountering now in Chicago. People that have bought these really expensive cargo bikes and their kids are getting older and bigger and they want to go further, but it's hard uh, because their kids also get heavier, right? And the, the places they want to go are further. So, uh, so e-assist is something to, to consider if you're in the market today. As well as, uh, as well as, um, uh, you know, where do you live? Are you, do you live in a place that's uh, like where if you had an exposed chain and it's going to be sitting outside, are you, you know, are you going to have uh, a lot of damage done just by the weather? I don't know. There's a lot of different kinds. So how well, would you be yeah. storing it? Uh, I would have to, um, we have a possible back entrance if I fix it. Yeah. fix the gate yeah so we could we could go in and out through the alley sweet and it would it be protected from the rain and elements uh no but we, it doesn't really rain uh, much yeah well yeah, like once a, a month on average maybe yeah. right yeah if, if we're lucky yeah yeah so i mean if the rain's minimal and uh and you're willing to like leave it outside and there's a safe place to lock it up then yeah you can look at some of the cheaper options for example there's a madsen um, which has a plastic bucket that's more on the rear of the bike uh, you also have uh, a bullet bike which tends to be super fast a lot of messengers prefer bullet bikes um, not too many people um, with kids or not I would say it's not usually the first choice for families especially families with multiple kids because it does have a smaller bucket uh, if you install a bucket on it but uh, but it's a very zippy fast cargo bike um, and uh, but it does have an exposed chain um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different kinds. I would say, I mean, have a bike right now. There's also the option of just picking up a, um, a seat, uh, like a baby seat, and putting it on your bike, and you know, starting that way. See how you ride for those uh, couple miles to the to the daycare and then back. Well, I have a bills. a seat. Like you mean, like a regular seat on a regular bike? Well, I mean, yeah, like a regular, like um, a child seat. Yeah, I have a one of those thumbs or whatever they're called. Uh, it's a, it's a plastic seat on the front of my bike. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. I should know the brand, but, but yeah, I was thinking. She's outgrowing that. Well, no, no, it's fine. But I, it, it's a little awkward. And also I felt it might be a little safer to have a, the bucket. Can you speak on that? Is it safer? Well, if you have a child seat in there, like yeah. the car seat. Yeah. Well, so my kids are older now, five, they're five and seven. Um, but I, I will say, even when they're little, I felt, I feel really safe in, on my bike. Um, I'm really big. Like my bike sits so tall. In fact, uh, I've had people like in cars, they talk to me and they're actually looking up at me cause it's so, you know, it's a Dutch style bike with a very upright posture. Um, and they have a presence in the road. So I think from a visibility standpoint, uh, the safety element is absolutely there. I also really love that my kids are in front of me so we can talk, we can engage in point. It's a little different than if they're behind you in a kid's seat or in a trailer. It's just a little harder to have those dialogues, but if they're in front of you, then you're able to kind of 
acknowledge what you all see in front of you. And, and it's really helped my kids learn uh, their way around town. Like when my daughter was three, she could get home from a mile in any direction, um, which is awesome because I mean, my mother gets lost three blocks from here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I would say from a safety standpoint that that big box is, is awesome. And there's different kinds of ways to uh, strap your kids in. Um, my kids are at the age now where they don't really, I don't even buckle them in. I just dump them in and go. You're also going usually pretty slow, um, at least I am. Um, I mean, I think I'm going fast, but comparatively, I mean, you're going pretty slow in a bucket bike. They're heavier. Um, unless you have like an e-assist uh, or you're really hauling, then uh, yeah, you're just moving slower. Um, but it's really, I feel like about the joy and experience of getting where you're going when you have a bucket bike, right? You're not like trying to make time uh, even though you often do, depending on where you live and the traffic that is there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I feel super safe, mostly because I'm visible. And there's also a huge convenience factor with bucket bikes, which I really appreciate. Uh, really, I just like dump my kids in, dump all the stuff in and go. And uh, there's no, like, I don't have to work on strapping things down or bungeeing this unless I, you know, see something in the alley, which I have been known to do. Uh, <laughs> I like bring home all this furniture and then underneath it somewhere is a baby. I'm like, ah. but, uh, but yeah, like they're, they're just really convenient. And uh, yeah, I find them, I find them safe, but like anything they're they're as safe as you feel and they're as safe as you operate. Right. I'd say the one other thing on that point is that on the front ones, you're sometimes, especially if you don't have the, the two leg um, kickstand, you start getting stability issues and it's just farther to the ground in case it topples as compared to a bucket bike. Mm, yeah, possibly, for sure. I will say um, there's another style of bucket bike we haven't mentioned yet, and that's a trike. And there's a few different kinds of trikes as well. There's like the Christiana trike. And I mean, honestly, there, there's bunch bikes. There's a lot of different trikes out there. Um, when I was looking for our biking solution, uh, I did try a trike. And for me personally, as someone who already had been riding in the city for years, year round, I felt like it was slower and I also felt really uncomfortable on turns. Uh, I just felt like it was gonna tip over if I turned too sharply. Um, but I think really the lesson with all, any bike is you just have to test ride it, right? So a trike wasn't great for me, but I know tons of people that love their trikes. Um, same thing when you talk about Bach feats versus a bullet bike, or when you talk about Madsons, people are in love with their Madsons um, and hated the Bach feats. So I mean, it's- what's, what's a Madsen? Can you describe it? Oh yeah, absolutely. A Madsen is, uh, it is the kind of a bucket bike that has a bucket in the back and it's made out of a plastic material. It kind of looks like a Rubbermaid container was slapped on a long tail. Um, a long tail is a bike that has a longer uh, kind of rear where the rear tire is and then uh, it kind of goes back and has more, uh, can handle more weight. 
Um, so yeah, so Madsons uh, are those. They do have exposed chains and they do have a cheaper price point. They're generally uh, around 16, 1700 or even less depending on what model you're looking at or if it's used. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they're a little bit different. They, they kind of ride more like a regular bike. They have a bit more of a, not aggressive stance, but they're not as upright as a Dutch style, but they're still pretty upright. Lorraine, Can I put in a word? Been. I want to put in a good word for, uh, tandem bikes. Oh yeah. I actually, I actually have a tandem bike and, you know, during the quarantine, I, I was, you know, basically by myself and I would ride the tandem bike to go to the market just because I think my my other two bikes were like in disrepair or something. And I ended up uh, getting a crap load of groceries and just being able to hang the bags on the back handlebars. And it was, it was awesome. It was like, I was hauling six bags of groceries with potatoes and all kinds of stuff. So just want to throw out a little little props to tandem bikes too i think people don't give them as much credit as they deserve you know thanks for bringing that up don um i'm reading your zoom name so if that's wrong please correct me uh but thanks for bringing that up i think tandems are really awesome and an overlooked option especially for families that have older kids where maybe they don't feel comfortable with them riding on city streets yet um but they still need to be able to bike with them and we see a lot of families that are really enjoying tandems and you're right they do have like a cargo capacity that can't be ignored as well which is awesome well how does that work how does the cargo I mean, I know Don hangs bags off of his tandem handlebars, right? I mean, that's... Well, I also, I also have this um, rack time system, which I have a rack time rack. It's like basically a, a click-in system, and they sell the, the click-in thingamajig um, hmm. separately that you can, you can bolt that on to... Uh, you know, like a speaker box or a bag that you really like or whatever. And I have a, a picnic basket or it's like a, it's really more like a market basket. And I click that in on the back and I usually put my groceries in there. It's just that this one time, I think I was shopping with my stomach or something and I bought way too much stuff. And I got outside and I was just like, oh, I could just hang these bags on the handlebars. And it was, it's become my grocery shopping bike i mean I, I i actually do a whole bunch of shopping with that bike and um you know sometimes you run into a friend it's like hey hop on the back you know that scenario could easily happen too so i i don't know i'm, I'm just digging my tandem i, I feel like i want to build out some cargo bike type uh features on it um that maybe are removable when you do have a second person to ride with um I don't know. It's, I just wanted to bring it up. Go tandem. I'm, I'm team tandem as well. I mean, not in practice, but in support. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're great. And I got to say, I've spent a lot of time in the Netherlands and sometime in, in Denmark and people are using their bucket bikes out there. It's normal to see cargo bikes and bucket bikes, whatever they're, whatever you want to call them with three kids and other other stuff in there i kind of laughed when you said that you would be riding and find you know like a ground score on the side of the road furniture or whatever it's like this is normal life in in these northern european countries it's pretty amazing yeah you're spot on i mean 
you're 100% right. And uh, it's getting more normal here, but that's always a caveat. I think when you have an eye catchy kind of abnormal bike, like a, like a big old bucket bike, cargo bike. Um, and I always tell people, if you're going to get this bike, be prepared for people to stop you everywhere you are and want to know everything. I mean, I've had, I've had people at the grocery store before, like I've had a mom bouncing a, a baby in a Bjorn, just waiting. And then I'm like, hi, like with my groceries and my kid. And she's like, tell me everything. And, uh, I mean, people see it and, and you could, you know, I think they see it as fun, as freedom, as a way to, to get around with their kids that doesn't involve a car. I, I think people are really into that. And when they see them, it's inspiring. And, um, but, but if you have one and you're not a people person, then, you know, you gotta, you gotta be prepared to become a people person or have some really solid, <laughs> solid outs, like, ah, <laughs> fire, ah, I don't know, <laughs> but people will want to talk to you. So embrace it or don't. Well, I want to know why you personally were interested in bucket bikes, bikes versus maybe a cheaper option. Um, like what, what is drawing you to, to that? I mean, I know why, huh. but I'm curious <laughs> what you, why, why, why you? <laughs> uh, I think it was just the feeling of, I feel like the, the security would be yeah. increased. I feel like, um, you know, if I get, if I get knocked, if I get bumped into on my bike, you know, it's going to be a problem with, with my daughter on the front, but if, uh, it just might be less of a problem with the bucket bike. Maybe it's just because I feel like it would just be more fun to ride too. Oh, it's definitely more fun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I would say it's definitely more fun for probably the, the kiddos. Like they, I mean, well, you know what? I shouldn't say that. I don't know what it's like to be in the front of a bike, like strapped to it. Um, but I do, I will say when I have kids that are in trailers or even in rear seats, uh, get in my bike, like they are all like, woo. And then you know who loves it the most are the ki the car kids. You throw a car kid in my bike, they, you know what they tell their mom? Mom, I want a bike like that. Let's not get like rough anymore. <laughs> it's like this sneaky, evil way. I'm like infiltrating shit, like the future. Yeah, like I uh, actually recently was at my, well, not recently, because there was a school to go to, but uh, I guess this would have been in early March or late February. I was picking up my son from preschool at, uh, he goes to a local Chicago public school. And uh, there uh, there are all these kids. There are always all these kids that want to get in the bike. And I'm, you know, I'm like, whatever. But this time I was feeling saucy. I'm like, you know, it's a beautiful day. Jump in, children, as long as your parents say it's okay. And we just rode around the schoolyard, um, which they loved. And at one time I had six kids uh, in the bike, which is crazy. That was, there's probably too many. We were going slow. Um, but bench status there. <laughs> yeah, it's six preschoolers, and they're all just laughing and screaming with their hands in the air. And then I look behind me, and there's just like all these children running after us, like yelling, like yeah. <laughs> and, it's like, and I, yes, yes, that's right, children, follow me. <laughs> this is your future. Uh, but it's fun. You can see that, and they love they love being out there. I think. Uh, you know, I think for kids, it's just a lot more interactive and exciting. I think a lot of times when people are in cars and kids are in cars, I should say, 
uh, especially, you know, they're in the back, they're a lot of times on a screen, um, uh, or they're, they're in a, you know, they're in a seat where maybe the, you know, from, from a safety perspective, like they can't even really see peripherally or move. And to have a bit more freedom and to feel that fresh air and to be able to, you know, see people. I mean, the same reasons why you love riding a bike versus being in a car. Uh, kids do. And uh, kids are very social. They love it. How much do the, or how much do bucket bikes weigh typically? Oh man, more than me. No, <laughs> no less than me. <laughs> but uh, yep. they, I want to say uh, mine is probably around, I mean, this is very Googleable. I feel like mine's at like a hundred pounds ish um without yeah especially the better ones yeah i mean i would say yeah, that they weigh enough food. though that you don't want to carry them up or down the stairs and that's a really important consideration when you're looking at storage right uh, there's a lot of people i know they're like oh if i can just get it down these five steps and then 90 degree turn it into my basement <laughs> then i have a great place to park it and i'm like i'm so sorry to tell you that is not gonna work well you're gonna like, hate bringing it out uh and you're gonna end up you know, not parking it securely and, you know, hopefully nothing happens. But, uh, but yeah, but they, they do weigh well, uh, that you don't want to do that. Yeah, it's a situation you find yourself in. You might just, can you guys hear me? No, it's still, it's still screwed up for some reason. It might be Zoom. I actually had to quit out of Zoom and then log back in uh, just, just a minute ago because my thing was tripping, so... I like blaming Zoom. Yeah, let's blame Zoom. I felt like, uh, you know, I will say, uh, I assume you're going to edit this, but when we, one of my biggest concerns when I was doing a Zoom, uh, Zoom call last week, because we did a different format. We let everyone come in so we could just see everybody. And we'd never done it before. We thought we'd give it a whirl. But I was so scared that someone was going to crash in and flash <laughs> the body. And I was like, how do I get this information out publicly without sickos coming in? I mean... That's not Zoom's fault, but but they fixed that, right? The areas maybe we got we in a direction they didn't think they'd get to go. Oh, look, are we about to get? I think we're about to get Zoom bombed right now. No, this is the next. This is the next guest. Oh, okay, we <laughs> we did. We got we got Zoom bombed on our. Okay, somehow that's got to get muted. All right. Uh, okay. Somehow, is that is that Armin? We did get yeah, Zoom yeah. bombed on our first Zoom bike talk. It was uh, <laughs> the most horrifying shit ever. I'm so sorry. <laughs> now, now you know how women live every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were violated. I'm so sorry. No, it's, you know what, though? It, like, I laugh, but it's I laugh because it's so common and it's awful. And, yeah, you don't want to be a venue for that. But uh, this looks exciting. I'm excited to to take a back seat and hear this next segment. It seems super interesting. Yeah. So you're gonna stay on the yeah. show with us? Uh, I will until I wake up one of my kids. Absolutely. Okay. Great. <laughs> Nick, why don't you why don't you bring our next guest on to the? Okay. This is very audience. very exciting that we get. Thank you, Rebecca from Thank Chicago you. Family Biking, and stick around and Marvin. Marvin, are you still with us? I. I am. Can you hear me? This is Armin. Armin now Rosen is yep. a reporter with Tablet. And you were there, Armin. Yes. Uh, I read about you in a NYC Streets blog article. You were there when the police took bikes from protesters. They took your bike. They clubbed you. Did you get that bike back? I did. 
I got, I miraculously got the bike back uh, wow. thanks to uh, my friend and photographer who I'm actually out on the streets of Brooklyn with right this very second, Ben Feibelman, uh, who was at Borough Hall a couple hours after me and found probably about a half dozen bikes that the police had just kind of taken from people and left there. Yeah, it was a real, really great lucky break there. And before That's I get crazy. back to that, yeah. Uh, Armin, this is Marvin. Yes. Um, before I get back to that, I want to know like how your photographer friend uh, got all the bikes back to the people who they belong to. But you know Gideon Oliver? Yeah, the lawyer. Yes, I know him. Well, he's right next to you on my screen. Oh, wow. oh excellent. And uh, Gideon, hey, you were mentioned in the same NYC Streets blog article, and you're representing protesters? You're a lawyer? Oh, we got to unmute you. <laughs> somebody's somebody's got a bike bell going. Hi, I am. Uh, hey. Hi, yes, I am a lawyer, uh, and I uh, I am representing protesters, and I've represented. Hold on, really quick, Nick. You got to yeah, all right, that, all right. Except he, for Gideon, he's he's at a. I thought it was atmospheric, but okay, go uh, on. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, bell in the background is a common protest noise, so you know, uh, not unfamiliar. Um, yeah, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I'm with the National Lawyers Guild in New York City, um, and I've been representing protesters um, uh, and other people, uh, but in civil rights cases and criminal defense for about uh, since the Republican National Convention in 2004, when I cut my teeth learning how to do criminal defense and suing police uh, around uh, crackdowns on the RNC 2004, and then on critical mass bike rides in New York City between 2004 and the next two years. Um, so I spent a lot of time trying to get bikes back for people that cops had taken um, and suing cops over um, uh, taking bikes and uh, bike policing. Armin, I mean, are you gonna sue the cops? That's a great question. Um, apparently I actually would have a case. I've had kind of lawyers recommended to me. I'm not really that litigious by nature. Uh, I, I haven't really kind of explored all my options yet. I don't want to rule anything out. Uh, I do want to say that I've been in communication with the New York DA, uh, which has uh, is kind of proactively investigating reports of incidents involving the police and protesters. Uh, so it is on the record with a you know New York government entity. Sorry, uh, do you mean the New York DA or the New York Attorney General's office? Oh, excuse me, AG. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The DA yes. doesn't give a shit, but the yeah, uh, good point. Where, right. But, uh, no, the you're right. They General don't. Office does. Yeah. And, you know, I submitted my story to the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker. Uh, I've talked about it on media on a number of occasions. So it's on the record. It's out there. Uh, hopefully that does some good for it to be as – it says the story is as established as I can establish it right now. Can you, can you actually tell us the story? I didn't really do it justice. Sure. I was at a protest at Cadman Plaza, which is right in front of uh, Brooklyn Borough Hall. There was kind of a line of cops that turned into, like, a flying wedge of cops – uh, that was chasing this uh, group of probably about 400-odd protesters. And then it started to rain. It began to monsoon, like one of these really sudden rainstorms that just happened in the, in the space of about, like, 30 seconds. Um, and I needed to keep my notebook dry because I still, still take notes uh, by hand uh, when I'm out in the field. So I kind of pulled off to the side of the crowd. Uh, things devolved. There were people getting chased and beaten up and things like that. Um, and I kind of turned around to take my notebook out, put it in my backpack, and I got cracked over the shoulder, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with a police baton. 
Um, and I was like restrained by three or four cops on the ground. And, uh, you know, they searched my bag. Um, and then when I finally got up to the, you know, got up, the bike was gone. Uh, and I asked like, Hey, can I have my bike back? And they were like, wow. And they were like, uh, it's not your bike anymore. <laughs> Sorry about all this background noise. I'm, uh, tailing a group through, uh, Crown Heights. Um, And I couldn't get any information from the cops, like how to get the bike back, who I could complain to. Um, and the cops got extremely aggressive and began sort of chasing individual protesters. And I thought like, the bike's gone, it's a goner, I'm never seeing it again. Uh, and I just kind of ducked into the subway and went home. Uh, and then your which friend- was devastating. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then your friend found not only your bike, but a whole pile of bikes. Yeah, he found, he found three of them. Uh, he didn't know whose the other three were. Very interestingly, on Wednesday night, I had multiple people reach out on Twitter through DM to say, like, you know, I found a bike at Cabin Plaza. You know, I found a stranger's bike. Is this bike yours? Um, and I was like, no, my bike's a piece of shit. These bikes are much nicer than my bike. Uh, but there were people, uh, you know, who found discarded bikes and took them to safety. Uh, and hopefully the, the other ones that were there have uh, found their rightful owners again. That yeah. exact same scenario happened in L.A., actually. There was a picture going around the Midnight Riders Facebook group of yes. a bike that very obviously was belonged to a rider with, with spoke cards and everything. So yeah, they had, um, they had tackled a bunch of people, including some girl. And uh, the I guess the, the homeowner whose driveway it was in posted and it got around and we're still looking for that person yeah we got hey can you flip the camera let's see what we got out there uh sure uh how do you flip the oh here it is here we go uh we've got some cops we've got locals i mean there, there are a ton of cop cars out there like there, there was like a column of probably 10 to 15 police vehicles following a group of about I don't know, maybe 150 people. Uh, cops on foot right now. Uh, okay, well, now they're telling us we can't go this way. Uh, potentially a Ted scene here. I don't know. We'll see. Have you guys had any bike ride protests out there? Specifically bike ride? No, but interestingly, at this march I've been at for the last, I guess, two hours, they had bikes at the front of the crowd, interestingly. Uh, being a bit more organized about, uh, you know, positioning the bikes, I think, in a way where the cops don't see them as quite as threatening. Uh, interestingly, the police are very close in here. Hold it up a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Oh, there's the, there's the hip-hop there, Horn. Uh, yeah, the cops are very close in. Brooklyn. Unclear what their intentions are. I think maybe they're kind of going in for the. Do you guys have a curfew out there? Oh yeah, it's uh, eight o'clock. It's been hours. I mean, they have a pretext to tell all these people to go home or worse, but. I'm surprised that uh, the curfew stands in New York because in LA, the ACLU uh, sued and they managed to get the curfew removed. Yeah, I read about that. I was 
I was kind of wondering why the hell a similar thing hasn't happened here, you know? But, Did he, do you have any thoughts on that? Why that didn't happen in New York? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd love to know. The New York Civil Liberties Union, the NYCLU, and some other organizations just this evening announced that if the curfew is extended, they'll sue. So I think that that's probably coming down. If the curfew is extended past Sunday, then which is where when it currently expires, then there there will be a, a lawsuit. I I mean I guess maybe I'm asking too detailed of a question, but why wouldn't the lawsuit that succeeded here based on the Constitution? Why didn't that? apply everywhere because different courts have different jurisdictions and uh, a decision from a court out there wouldn't be binding on uh, necessarily binding on you know courts in other states or other jurisdictions if it's an appellate court you know an appeals court in a jurisdiction that can bind courts that are under it but um it wouldn't apply here i mean it can you know i mean a judge here can be convinced by the logic and you know reasoning and uh, authority cited by a decision in California or, you know, or wherever, you know, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, if the curfew is extended, you know, past Sunday, then it sounds like there will be litigation. You know, there's been uh, uh, an executive order in place in New York, the, the state that prohibits, uh, you know, most gatherings. And th there was a constitutional challenge to that. Um, and they lost in the, in the uh, federal court, um, you know, so, you know, wh why wouldn't it apply here? Well, because, you know, judges, the law is anything but a static thing and judges, you know, uh, interpret, the, you know, everywhere interpret the law differently. And, and, and so I think that's the answer, you know. And I'm also curious, there's going to be a, probably a rather large bike ride protest tomorrow in Lamert Park, which I plan to attend. And you know, I, I'm curious how, I mean, people are still allowed to drive vehicles uh, after curfew, et cetera. And I'm curious how the law sees bicycles. Are they vehicles? Are people allowed to drive after the curfew in New York? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, obviously maybe, you know, you probably don't have answers to all this, but it's like, it's curious to me how how our government would treat bicycles versus people walking and versus people driving. Yeah, I mean, bikes and under New York law are vehicles, but they're not motor vehicles. Um, you know, the way that cars are, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, motor vehicles are. And, um, you know, so in terms of the curfew, um, you know, I don't think there's any legal distinction between um, you know, bikes and cars, you know, bikes or cars that are be using, but that are being used by a hospital worker to get to or from an essential service are exempt, right? You know, uh, by virtue of that, you know, how they're being used, um, you know, but there's no real distinction, uh, you know, in the law between bikes and cars that way. But certainly in terms of the way the cops, you know, in New York have been, you know, policing these protests and generally how they police protests, they are much quicker to sort of retaliate using bikes as property than they are, you know, to do that with cars. I mean, cars are used, have, you know, have uses in protests. There have been car processions, taxi processions in New York, big taxi processions that were part of protests. And, you know, it's not like the cops police them like they police critical mass and, you know, locked all the cab drivers up and took their cars for a couple of months and, you know, et cetera. So, you know, I mean, there's something that's different both about the, you know, the transportability of bikes, you know, I think that, um, you know, police find uh, threat, both threatening in terms of, uh, you know, potential uses from protesters, 
um, and inviting in terms of uh, being something that's sort of low, lower hanging fruit to um, uh, uh, use to mess with protesters. Let's go back to Armin here and let's see where he's at on that. Well, this is great. You're, you're getting to see a little bit of NYPD doctrine in action here. There's now a much larger line of cops, as you can see. Uh, I think they figure this is a small group and this is their chance to completely disperse it. It's a couple hours after curfew. I haven't seen any arrests made. Uh, police actually seem kind of res restrained here. They don't seem like they actively want to arrest anyone, but the nature of these situations is uh, you can get an escalation without anyone really wanting it. So bit of an impasse here in Crown Heights. Uh, I'll say the number of cops kind of quadrupled since, uh, you know, in the last kind of uh, 10 to 15 minutes. So like I said, there's a long column of police vehicles small following this relatively, this relatively small group. Uh, Armin, if you can hold the camera up vertically and steady, if you could. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, there, go. there goes a cop right there. Yeah. People walking. I mean, I'm, I'm a writer, so uh, generally the live streaming thing is uh, not something I know much about. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Steady as she goes. Yeah. If you can. Hopefully nothing goes down. Look at this. I mean, it's an interesting kind of public order problem, right? It's a small group. They won't disperse. The cops don't want to. Cops are not charging them. They don't want to end this kinetically necessarily which is totally the opposite of the other night at Borough Hall, where they charged almost immediately. Uh, so this is a, a bit, bit of a different stance than the cops were taking the other night when they beat me up. <laughs> uh, I see. Well, oh, oh, never mind. Now they're, oh, now they're running. Uh -oh. Okay. Uh-oh. All right. Running, but why? See, that's the thing. Nobody knows what, what just sparked that. I think, I think their strategy is to keep everybody confused and in terror, right? That's part of it. I don't know. I don't know that it's quite as simple as that. I, I think the NYPD has no idea how to approach this. They don't. No one in our society or in the state of New York really knows how to handle what's going on right now. And it shows. You can see it on the streets every night. And also during the day, whenever the governor or mayor talks. So what, what do you usually cover for tablet, Armin? Oh, never mind. Let's see. Uh, variety of things, uh, some music, some religion. I've reported. Are you talking to Marvin or Arvin? Armin. Yeah. Um, I do some investigative stuff around uh, kind of lobbying. I've done a lot of stories around kind of lobbying around foreign policy. Uh, but the great thing about Tablet is there's no pattern to what I do. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, I can't do whatever I want, but, you know, if I get bored with topics i move on and it's a uh, it's a lot of a lot of freedom uh very little freedom however uh for this group with the cops literally moving in and lining people up against uh seeming to line people up against a wall are you in danger of getting rounded up yourself i don't think so there are a lot of media here there are a lot of people kind of live streaming uh the cops have not yelled at me at all thought maybe a couple nasty looks but by the way, that, that uh, vest that says T-A-R-U, uh, I believe they actually record, that's the police unit that actually records stuff. Uh, right. So the NYPD have their own kind of uh, onlooker here in an interesting way. Yeah, there's a T-A-R-U unit guy. Uh, you'll notice there are like guys in white dress shirts, so I think are commanding officers. 
I don't think I'm in any danger, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> Gideon, Gideon is shaking his arm in, please. And look, and look, Ben, right don't there. Fate, my friend. Please. Ben, yeah. Look, Ben, ben is a brother, but I can't tell you how many times. Yeah. I've talked to people who are like, I'm fine, I'm across the street. No one would talk to a reporter. No. Right. Yeah. Oh, really? They're taking bikes? Unbelievable. Wow, you guys are actually getting to see the uh, NYPD bicycle doctor in action here. Yeah, this is the. Uh, by the way, this is, this is Ben. I think so. This is Ben Feiblin, by the way. He's a guy who recovered my bike. He's a photographer. He's a uh, retired Marine. So. He's seen worse try to this. try to hold it steady on them confiscating gotcha. the bikes. Uh, let's see. Or whatever's going on. Whatever's going on. Oh yeah, there's people getting handcuffed. And there's a guy in a LeBron James Lakers shirt who's getting let off. Uh, I don't know what any of them did. Fucking okay, Yeah. You had your bicycle taken? Right there. Right there? I mean, we're, it's going live. Get oh, there you go. <laughs> Amazing. Is that a cop behind him? Yeah, that, that's a cop behind him, yeah. Can I do what? Can you write down his number for me? Oh man! Hold, oh yes, I can. Hold on a second. Say it. Say it. Yeah. Good call. Sorry about that. All right. So what's happening is this: somebody's getting arrested, who and they took his bike. Is that what's happening? And he's asking somebody to take his number. Correct. He's asking someone to write down the badge number of the officer who's arresting him, which is very smart. And guys, someone's. Uh, yeah, do you have a bike too? I don't. I'm just thinking call my cousin. 646. 646. 951. This is insane. Well, you know, you saw, you. you saw how Armin said everything seems fine and everything's chill, and then now they're arresting everybody. Welcome to the New York City Police Department. There's no. Did you hear a dispersal war warning or any kind of communication with the group that would have, you know, communicated to you that? they were about to engage in mass arrest. I didn't. Herman seemed I mean, most of the time it sounds like a jack-in-the-box drive-through. It's like, <laughs> you can't tell what the hell they're saying. Right. So. right. Number of arrests happening. They seem to be yelling a bit more. Uh, ben Feibelman is in the course of rescuing another bike. <laughs> he's right over there. Uh, no, he's coming back across the street. But... Oh man, there are a lot of you locked up innocent people. Camera up. You guys are uh, recording this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, keep that camera up and steady so we can. Good job. If they want to pull the, the front video, I'm yeah. going live right now. Got it. Yeah, they got people kind of lined up beneath this Domino's awning. All right, like this thing is clearly open. Um, and the people getting detained or not. I have a question for the lawyer. Is he seeing anything here that would qualify as a civil liberties abuse from what he's seen? Yeah, yeah sure. Arresting, arresting people without uh, giving them any warning or notice is uh, not, uh, you know, they, 
the executive order requires that there be a dispersal order that's clearly communicated and a meaningful opportunity to disperse, and neither of those things. No justice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the wow. Story, you know? I mean, Unbelievable. Guy, there was a guy uh, just walked off sobbing uh, in handcuffs. Uh, there's yeah, a second well, bike. You can kind of see it on the pavement over there. In fact, there are about four. There are four bikes. One, two, three, four bikes. Uh, just kind of lying so, here. And unfortunately, the people who are getting arrested now are going to go into police custody. And when their family member, like, I'll call this number that person just yelled out, right? And I'll talk to a family member and I'll say, somebody yelled this out. They're getting arrested. I'm a lawyer. I would love to help out. But the police department creates a situation where they're going to take them God knows where. We have no way of contacting them. It's a complete black hole. Um, they might appear before a judge, you know, 24 to 72 hours from now, they might get released in a few hours with a ticket. There's just no way to tell. I mean, it's really, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's it's a, a, a real um, uh, escalation of, um, you know, uh, some of the policing tactics that the police department has used against protests for many years, but, um, you know, very difficult to see in real time, really. Uh, the, the bikes get in. They take the bikes and then they throw them away, or how does that work? Well, sometimes they take the bikes and they just throw them away, as, you know, basically happened with Armin, I think. But um, if they arrest you with property, they're supposed to uh, take it with you and sort of keep it with you and voucher it and then give it back to you when you're released. Or if they want to keep it as what's called arrest evidence, which means that they might want to use it in a prosecution as evidence, then they're supposed to put a different, you know, check off a different box on the voucher that says it's for arrest evidence. And then they hold on, the police department holds on to it until a prosecutor tells them they can give it back to you, which in the critical mass rides after the RNC in 2004 is really sort of how I got involved in the bike cases because I'm afraid of riding a bike in New York City because all I do is you know, uh, about bikes is watch cops tackle the people off them and attack them and critical mass rides for years. And so uh, it's not, you know, really something I did, but I thought it was especially obnoxious that uh, in the RNC 2004 critical mass ride, the cops seized tons of bikes and were keeping them for months and people, you know, needed them for work and, you know, to commute and for all kinds of other things. So I got involved in, you know, sort of the bike stuff uh, and the bike civil rights stuff through uh, trying to get help people get their bikes back. And um, right now, you know, even if people are being released with the right paperwork, the place where you would go to get your bikes um, is closed to the public. So, um, you know, if people are arrested with their bikes, even if the cops do what they're supposed to do, unlike in Armin's case, um, you know, people are not going to be getting By the way, I, I hate to break in here, but you'll see that there's a, there's a cop with a red bicycle over there holding a red bicycle. You kind of have to squint. It's in between. Uh, but you can see a uh, top of the red bicycle. There's a guy in a pink bandana who seems just besides himself, beside himself. Uh, Armin, if you can, hold that shot if you can. Hold it steady. Anyone might see a red... there's, a, there's a cop right in front of it. You can see the oh, – there it is. Yeah. Yep. Just keep it steady. Let's see what, yeah. we, can, what we can collect. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I 
<laughs> there's, I mean, there's just a line. There's like a line of people waiting to get put into a paddy wagon. Oh my god. Uh, and then people who are local to this neighborhood are now on the sidewalk, and they're obviously not happy about this scene. Is uh, they sh- should not be happy about this scene. Um, it's actually a larger kind of new condo building over there where there was somebody yelling out the window, like, ah, oh, you know, you racist cops, et cetera. Um, we're also in, uh, yeah, we're in Crown Heights south of uh, Eastern Parkway, which is a sort of a gentrifying, historically black neighborhood. Uh, Yeah, now there's a lot of a lot of standing around. Okay, just make sure you're safe, man. I think uh, I think so, but uh... so Armin, you're gonna write about this? I don't know. Um, so I, I actually wrote about my own incident for Tablet today. Uh, it was kind of a longer story, reflecting on the whole thing. Uh, I mean, look, I when the coronavirus hit, I kind of became Tablet's New York City coronavirus correspondent. It was a huge issue in the Jewish community. Uh, I saw every kind of angle to it. Um, and this is part of the same crisis. And like, if I, you know, want to write a book about this whole thing one day or something longer, I got to go out to events I don't write about and see what they're like and get a whole larger perspective on uh, reality as it currently exists. Um, so I don't know if I'll write about it. I'll probably certainly tweet something about this tomorrow morning. Um, what? Uh, what? Uh, is it useful to have a bike when you're doing this? Well, I did not bring my bike tonight. Uh, seemed to be a bit of a handicap the other night. It, it's useful if you to find groups, certainly. But tonight we were just kind of lucky and we ran into the main march uh, on Flatbush Avenue in downtown Brooklyn. But I certainly feel naked without it. Shut, subway shuts down at 1. Uber's not running. Uh also nice to know it's safe i'm just like enthralled (laughs) with with the scene and i feel a little bit like when i was a kid and and we couldn't get the cable channel to show the porn video so you kept flipping back and forth until you could (laughs) kind of see it and then it went away (laughs) what would the porn here be what would what would the porn be the the porn is the shot of wow there's some crazy, it looks crazy. Look at all these cops. I mean, LA cops are scary, but New York cops seem scarier, like more sinister or something. I don't know. Yeah. You know, Look, it's uh, Marvin, what do you well, think? What gets me is uh, how, like, I don't know. What gets me is like, how many different uniforms they have. I see like six different shirts over there. I was talking to the same agency, I presume. I've heard yeah. they have. Prison guards out there in D.C. Yeah, as far as New York goes, I think the white-shirted cops are like the uh, the higher-ups, right? Is that right, Armin? Yeah, it's yeah, my, under- my understanding, yes. In L.A., uh, uh, they base it on the stripes on their Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, people are not happy to see this happening right in front of their apartment buildings and in their city in general. Uh, 
Which is going to make this whole thing very hard to resolve. I mean, I don't. Right, you said there's going to be a lawsuit if they extend the curfew, and the curfew's definitely getting extended. Like, we're headed to a new new phase of this thing uh, in the next few days. You know, I got to say, these. Pro- I mean, this is big. I mean, I live way out in the boondock, and there was a protest on my street. Big. I mean, this is big. Yeah. It's big. Well, what's, yeah. Well, I, well, I was just going to say, I think something you said a few minutes ago, you were talking about mobility issues and how you don't have your bike with you and the subway yeah. shuts down at one. And here in Chicago, we've been having uh, experiences like when we have a curfew at 9 p.m. And the very first time they announced it, it was announced in a press conference at 8.30, but no one protesting knew about it. And then they had raised the bridges, which in Chicago, well, I can pause. It's getting crazy here. But in Chicago, they raised the bridges um, so no one could get out of downtown into the neighborhoods to get home. They had shut down the CTA, which is our uh, local subway, and buses. There's no way for people to get to get out. And uh, it's really alarming to see. It, 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 it struck me as one of the only ways to get around right now is on a bicycle. And to hear that they're getting taken away is extremely alarming. I haven't heard of that happening in Chicago yet. Um, it doesn't mean it's not happening. I will say I've seen a lot of protests uh, footage uh, where our police officers are on bikes. Um, we have a pretty big bike, uh, bike police force here as well. Um, but uh, it's really alarming to see that. And I think there's a lot of mobility issues that are gonna need to be discussed and considered when, when you know, we'll add it to the list of things to, to circle back on when things uh, settle down. But uh, mobility is a big problem in a lot of places. Yeah, in you know, LA too. Uh, Gideon's got to go. In LA, uh, we, we, uh, we have uh, you know, a lot of drive-through service uh you know fast food joints that that aren't serving people hey, as walk I, I, I went to arby's like yesterday on my bike through the drive through and they served me yeah I, I was able i've been able to do it on bike as well but i'm curious about just the visual it's like you walk up to a drive through like people without cars can't necessarily or don't necessarily feel welcome walking up you know, in a line of cars to a drive-through window is kind of what I'm saying. By the way, they're leading off like a line of people to paddy wagons right now, as you can see. Sorry to cut in. I think we should. I think um, what they, I, I think it's Portland has a uh, an ordinance that anytime a restaurant has the drive-through open but the dining room closed and they have to serve um, people on bikes and on foot at the drive-through window. So okay. I, I think that's something that definitely needs to be spread around everywhere. Okay, I'm getting okay. a note that we're that, that Gideon, you are Gideon, are you uh, are you yeah. leaving us? Yeah, I'm really sorry. I apologize to leave, but it's been nine very, very, very long days. I have two kids under two and if I don't if I don't dip hey, out, I'm I thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much, Gideon, for coming on the show. Uh, very valuable knowledge base there. So we really appreciate you and we'd love to have you back on at some point. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for, thanks for your time. Thank you so much thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank all. you. Thank you. Take care. Stay safe. Armin, okay. call me if you get arrested. Good night. <laughs> we'll give you his number. Yeah. Bye.
right. Thank you so much. Uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. You too. Oh, yeah. All right, the scene is unfolding here. Yeah, cops are running for some fucking reason. I don't. Camera. I have no bike, but I do have my running shoes on, and it's one thing the cops hopefully <laughs> can't take. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what the fuck is happening here. This is one of the biggest dangers of these protests: people just running around for no apparent fucking reason. Hey, at least uh, you guys don't have tear gas out there, Jesus. Nope. I experienced my first tear gassing last Saturday. That oh was, wow! Uh, yeah, that was that was quite the experience. Oh man! Bro, it's not tear gas. It's just smoke. Uh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I keep hearing yeah, it. Yeah, it's not tear gas. It's just smoke. It's not tear gas. It's just smoke. Yeah, they're Whatever. they're like saying technically it's not tear gas, but my eyes were oh, burning. People people were people were dying. It was so much. It was really uh, the thing was we were the sad part was we were downwind from the from the cops so all they had to do was blast a couple canisters up upwind from us and they got the entire crowd dispersed oh man even if you throw it back you're still hitting yourself what's that so even if you throw it back it's still gonna flow back on you right right they would wait for the gust of wind to come and then they would throw a canister out yeah hey so uh, did y'all hear what happened in Buffalo? Oh, yeah, with the, all, the elderly guy that got pushed? Yeah. Well, I heard that. I want to know what happened to that guy. I was I trying to look up. The hospital from what I hear, but I hear 57 other cops have resigned because of the, the two who got reprimanded and put on. Yeah. No, but they, they resigned from their assignment in support of the two cops. Somebody said it hit the Oh, so they didn't exactly quit being cops. You got to mute. Yet. That is Marvin. Okay. No, I thought they were completely quitting. But still, if they're not going on the front lines anymore, that's that's still a... a, a no, no, they're not quitting. They're, they they resigned from their duty to uh, protest that those two cops got suspended without pay. This is what I've been saying on social media. I probably shouldn't say this on video, maybe, but cop unions are just way too powerful in this country. And these, I think that's the root core of this whole problem, is that is that uh, cops are not held accountable, like in a, any real way. It's impossible for them to be. All right, well, I gotta go, guys. Seven thirty. No I idea, guys. I gotta go too. I be I become separated from uh, from Ben, uh, and he's the one who's got to retrieve this guy's bike. So I, I think I, I think I gotta go too. Uh, okay, I'm good luck, man. I'm glad he recorded it. Let's talk soon, okay? Absolutely. Let's talk again. All right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. All right. Thanks take care. Be safe. Well. Absolutely. That was quite the transition. I know. Nick's just like, <laughs> we got to go. It's so fun to put babies and bicycles to, on the street. <laughs> interior. I mean, like, holy crap. Uh, well, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, sorry, I didn't feel like I wanted to leave. But I will leave now um but thanks so much for having me on and yeah if you ever have any other topics that come up about uh i don't know family biking i'm in and we have a pretty large group uh at our in chicago too we've got about uh 2700 people or so in our facebook group and wow good job
Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, we, we, when, when it's, you know, not a global pandemic, we, we meet up and, and we, we make waves and we're getting involved from an advocacy perspective too, which has uh, been really exciting. That's going to be really important because I think a lot of advocacy effort sort of gets tossed to the side when it's like dudes on bikes, you know, like bike warrior type dudes. I think we need more moms and kids and that kind of thing to really persuade the politicians because they're, you know, it's like aggressive dudes, like, fuck those guys. You guys can get hit by cars and people won't care that much. But it's like a mom with kids. It's like it uh, somehow, I don't, is this being, am I being sexist by saying that? Because I feel like yeah. that is more powerful to hear that well, than, than to hear You've from seen somebody. a lot of movements that are led by moms, right? Moms are, it's like mothers against drunk driving, you know, this yeah. powerful. And uh, I, I agree completely. And it doesn't matter, like a, a, a dude warrior bro guy, hipster man, his life is just as important as a mom and as kids and everything else. But, uh, but I would say that, um, I don't know, hearing that perspective can be a bit more compelling. And I think too, it's really important for mainstreaming, uh, just biking in general, mainstreaming uh, that it can be done, mainstreaming the importance of it. And uh, I think it's hard for people to see themselves in like a spandex, uh, you know, guy on a, on a fast road bike riding with a group ride. Uh, but we all know moms, we all know, you know, parents, like, you know, I don't, I'm not in great shape. <laughs> you know, I just look like a normal person walking around. I happen to be biking. And, and I think that that, uh, having that face helps uh, a lot. So we're using that to our advantage because. Please, yeah. please do. Oh. What about LA chapter? How do we get the LA chapter going? Oh, an LA chapter? Oh man. I mean, that's like a whole nother podcast. There might be an LA chapter. I mean, really, <laughs> so we started out as, uh, we started out doing critical mass bike rides, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yes. Yeah. So we started out doing that back in like 2010 before I was involved. And then by the time I got involved, it was 2013. And I started uh, one of those rides within my neighborhood. And by at that time, Chicago had about three or four different neighborhood rides. And um, from there, I got involved. It really just grew. I wanted to start a Facebook group. So I started a completely different Facebook group for family biking, mainly actually because people were tracking me down, asking me questions about my bike. And I was like, oh, maybe we can just get this information out in a broader way, uh, you know, infect people with the joy of riding. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so evil. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, from there, it, it, uh, it really exploded. And we have so many members and they are, you know, all different kinds of, uh, of, of people, right? We have older people with older kids, people with younger kids, people with different kinds of budgets. We have some people that live in the heart of the city of Chicago, like I do. And then we've got people that are in suburban communities. And then from there, you know, we've been able to uh, uh, encourage people to volunteer to uh, start their own neighborhood bike ride. We've had family bike fests. And like I said, we're getting involved uh, with legislation, whether it's like voicing our support uh, for different kinds of policies and things uh, and, showing up and showing up at, uh, at events. So we're definitely, we're definitely growing and uh, this was going to be our year. We had this huge volunteer summit where I onboarded all these people and they were all like, yeah. And I had like 10 different communities signed up 
to do uh, critical mass bike rides like monthly in Chicago and then like a week later. I onboarded all the people and they were all like, yeah, and I had like 10 oh, different activities. Something's going on with the bike talk. <laughs> I'm in. Oh, I'm not in, but because I don't live that way. Well, all we need is Zoom. All we need is Zoom. We'll just Zoom it. That's all. Oh, yeah. That, you can just Zoom now. I basically live in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right here at my pad. Welcome. I'm right here. Yeah. It's very meta. All right. Y'all have a great weekend. Stay safe. No more tear gas. Um, or maybe that's what needs to happen. I don't know. Do what you need to do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye, y'all. All right. And Marvin. Hey, hey, hey. You guys want to hear Baby's Babbling? Baby's Babbling. My God. We got it all on Bike Talk. I got crows. That's about all I got is crows crowing. So, sorry about that. Crows crowing, baby's babbling. All right. Dancers Mar dancing. Marvin, it's been great having you on. And, uh, you know, we appreciate your input all the time. And I know that you are a bike nerd supreme by the fact that you know, the Facebook groups that we're in where we're arguing and you just have so much knowledge. So we need to get you back on here and talk some more wonky shit. So uh, looking yeah, forward to Yeah, maybe next time I'll remember that it's supposed to be on and not go leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool, man. Thanks again and stay safe. Thanks. You guys too. See you soon. Okay. Uh, this was an incredible show. I mean, we fucking <laughs> had live footage of some crazy shit in New York. Right. And then we had a, a bike lawyer, uh, you know, a legal, uh, he's not a bike lawyer. He's a, a civil rights lawyer. Right, right. Uh, Who tell us some shit. Specialized in bikes. Like that was in New York. Then we went yeah. to Chicago and yeah. we had the wonderful uh, uh, bike mom with Rebecca. the bucket bike. Rebecca, yeah. sorry, and she was great. Chicago. We had her, and then d over here in LA, we had the legends from the two legendary bike co-ops. This was a great right, show. Right. Nick, you're doing great on guests. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna take up the. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna okay. get LeBron James on. That's coming yeah. up soon. <laughs> I'm getting it. I'm gonna do it. I, I right. come on. And I hear that we're gonna have Mike Gatto on. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, thank you for emceeing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most of the time I'm just chatting to you about uh, managing the mute button, but uh, I think we did pretty good. Oh, news. Hello, Bike Here's Talk. News I'm Taranik from Havago here with your weekly bike news. Bikes continue to shine, this time in major newspapers. The New York Times ran a piece on the numerous benefits of electric bicycles with the title, E-bikes are having their moment, they deserve it. And a Wall Street Journal piece reading, you'll probably ride a bicycle in 2020, talking about how cities are repurposing street space to accommodate the shift in usage as more people use bicycles for mobility, exercise, and recreation during the global COVID pandemic. 
The latest cities gearing up for more bicycle infrastructure are Lisbon, installing 34 miles of pop-up bike lanes, and Toronto, with a proposal to expand their cycling network to 40 kilometers. As protests grip many American cities and curfews are ordered, many cities have pulled back or halted shared micromobility, with scooters temporarily banned from Portland and Capital Bike Share halted in Washington, D.C. While Tesla and electric cars might get all the attention, Bloomberg NEF projects that electric bikes will likely be the dominant force in the transportation electrification with over 180 million two- and three-wheeled bicycles currently on the road today and 600 million in 20 years, leaving electric cars in the dust. Unfortunately, the world will have 10,000 fewer two-wheelers. Bird shut down scooter services in the Middle East and scrapped up to 10,000 electric scooters. Los Angeles is also dipping its toes into reimagining street space. LA's Slow Streets program continues rolling out, helping residents use more street space to move around safely. Some local cities like Sierra Madre and Long Beach are even letting restaurants use the street to allow customers to dine in safely outdoors. Unfortunately, there has been a bit of criticism regarding the disparity of slow streets in affluent versus disadvantaged communities in Los Angeles. According to Streets for All, a local advocacy group though, with the addition of Koreatown and Pico last weekend, LADOT took a step towards implementing slow streets in communities with higher needs. As the program is rolled out, we hope to see equitable distribution across the city prioritizing neighborhoods including those with low park access and high traffic violence. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter for daily urbanism and micromobility news and updates. Our handle is at haveago. All right, we're going to take off. Good night, Todd. Good show. Great show. Great guests. Take care, man. I rise in the morning and greet the day. Pull out the bike and I'm on my way. The transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Green in the green, I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Daryl, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.